Welcome back to Bible Love. We're continuing our journey through the summer as we're talking about folks who create resources uh, for and with the church. And so as uh, we've prayed each week, this is the collect for those who influence um, others. Let us pray. Almighty God, you proclaim your truth in every age by many voices. Direct in our time, we pray, those who speak where many listen and write what many read that they may do their part in making the heart of this people wise, its mind sound, and its will righteous. To the honor of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, listeners, you are in for a treat today. We have the Reverend Lindsay Harden Freeman with us. Um, Lindsay is a retired priest, but she's not really retired. She has a lot going on. She is taking care of a lot of retired clergy in many provinces. She's writing and I particularly wanted to have her on this podcast, on our podcast, because She's written a lot of books, but there's one to me that has really um, made a difference to me in my life as a female priest and also just as a female in general. And that is called Bible Women, All Their Words and Why They Matter. So welcome, Lindsay. Excuse me, I just had to shut off my phone. Um, Thank you. It's great to be here with both of you. Thank you. Well, I would love for us to start out with you sort of telling us the story about how this incredible book came about. Oh, it's my pleasure and um, and blessings to both of you on the work that you do. Uh, you pray the prayer for communicators in the church, and I know that's what both of you are doing, and it's really important work, so thank you for that. A Bible Woman came from two places. I just finished a book called The Scarlet Cord. Conversations with God's Chosen Women, there it is. And it's the first person look at 12 women in the Bible telling their story from their own words. And I got done that with that book, and it and I felt like it was a good thing, but this this question was running through my head. Well, you've said what you thought they said, but what did they really say? I was an interim rector at the time that that question came up at Trinity Excelsior in Minnesota, and... I asked if people in the congregation, women in the congregation, would like to come forward with me and step into this question that had really never been answered about who said what, what woman said what, who spoke the most, what was their particular concerns. And I thought maybe the room would be packed with 40 or 50 women. Well, it wasn't. Um, We had three people step up. We had the head of the Author Guild and the head of uh, Wednesday Women, which is a women's group. And then we had a 15-year-old homeschool girl. And let me just say that these people were so helpful. We did all the work together. I would not be the books would not be where they are today um, without their help. They are diligent, and we're still working together on another on another book. And they're just hard workers, and they still encourage me and provide a whole foundation uh, for me and my doubts and my fears, as well as joys and happiness over this process. So here's the book. Here's the book that came out, Bible Women, All Their Words and Why They Matter, with the help of a national grant from the Episcopal Church Women, 
I know the Episcopal Church women are particularly strong in South, places like South Carolina and North Carolina, Texas, and I'm so grateful for them in this process. So the four of us sat down in the basement for three years, Trinity Excelsior, and we went through the Bible with a highlighter, and we highlighted every word that a woman spoke. And then we went through and did that again. And then one of our uh, one of our company was pretty good on on the computer, and she she cut and pasted all the words that women spoke on a spreadsheet, so we could see who was talking, how many words they said, when were the most, uh, what was going on in terms of the whole Bible and women talking, and so we were able to get that all in front of us and look through it, and we had some qualifications. We had um, we had. We said, did a woman really say it or was she just in the company of men and they were all saying something? Uh, I'm looking for the um, for the exact thing. But we had we had some bottom lines that did a woman say it? Was she alone? Did she speak in a group? Did she speak with other women? And then we were right up against publication time. And our goal was to to profile every woman that talked. And our um our 15-year-old came in and basically right up against press time, and she said there's 14,056 words said by women in the Bible. And so we had that as we went to press, that that final word count, along with a profile of every woman who talked. That's the process. That is so amazing. First of all, you know, I think it's so great when we can engage people in our parish in any way, and what a creative way to do that. And of course, it's two of the leaders in the church and a youth. Like that yeah. just makes me smile. Like I love that. I think that's amazing. And that they put their heart and their soul in this with you is just so cool. So you discovered that there were 93 women, right? 93 women in the Bible who talked either on their own or in a group. And let me just check my figures. We have 93 women who talked either on on their own in a group, we have 78 individually who spoke. And we went through the Apocrypha as well as the Old and New Testaments. And so there's these different groupings. The, and things flew out, at, flew out at us in the Bible. Um, like there's only one conversation between a mother and a daughter in the Bible. And that would be Herodias, the woman who was married to Herod called Herodias and the daughter was called Herodias too. And she urged her son to ask for the head of John the Baptist on a plate on a platter. That is the only full conversation of a woman in the Bible. There's another one, kind of a half conversations back in Genesis um, where Rebecca is about ready to marry Isaac and she, her mother and brother asked her if she's really ready to go, but that's a conversation with, with a guy. So we didn't count that as kind of a half conversation, but it's, Wow, there's no conversations between mothers and daughters straight through. And that's the kind of thing we discovered. I had no idea. That is really I interesting. I Very sad. It would have been it's, a, it's a terrible conversation. So. Yeah, that is super interesting. Yeah. So tell me, and I want to give Alan a chance to ask questions too, but tell me the second part. Why does this matter? You know, it matters, number one, it had never been done before, which is just, I went to spend a lot of time in Luther Seminary here in St. Paul because I figured the Lutherans would have the answer. They're kind of our major group in the Twin Cities and around the upper Midwest. It's like if the Lutherans don't have the answer, nobody does. And it just surprised me that it had never been done before. Um, but I think the reason why it matters is because it 
tells us so much about the women in the Bible, their lives, what they were up against. And it tells us about ourselves, too. For me, it gives me a lot of strength and a lot of courage when I look at what these women were up against. I look at the the, the trek that Ruth and Naomi made, where Ruth left her own family behind and and they accompanies Naomi to Jerusalem, and that allows Jesus, I'm sorry, Bethlehem, and that is, allows Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. You kind of see the whole picture of God's hand in this, but it really, to me, it, it validates um, validates us as well as women in the Bible. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's a documentary coming out soon about um, the Philadelphia 11, the first mm-hmm. women that were ordained and I was watching kind of the trailer of that and I was thinking about like for me all the women that went before me um you know and kind of did this trail but you don't including you um but you don't think about or I don't think about as much about the women in the bible I know really did this too we don't give them as much playtime as no. we Playtime, I love that word, because we our goal is to look at them as if these women were our neighbors. So-and-so is living down the street. What's she really like? We tried to, as staying in the factual lanes, we tried to read it as much as we could into the behavior um, of women in the Bible and to to identify who they were. Let me just let me just give you an example. Uh There's some terrible stories in there. There was a woman who ate her son. There was Athalia who killed her grandchildren. But that's okay. I mean, it's not okay that they did that. But now that we know about them. But um, we've got we've got the witch of Endor. Her profile is low. We say where her story is, what her classic moment was, bringing back Samuel's spirit for Saul, who learns of his imminent death. And we give her a likely characteristic, skeptical, countercultural, wise, clairvoyant, intuitive, hospitable, and compassionate People shy away from witchcraft in our in our in Christian religion, but the witch of Endor was huge in providing a place for Saul the night before he died, before he he was um, fell on his own sword in the battlefields because he was afflicted by mental illness by God, which is a odd thing, and kind of a wow, what's that about? But we were able to zero in. I'm sorry, I lost where you're going with your question. I just get so much into these stories. No, it's awesome. I mean, I really wasn't a question. It was just sort of a, you know, a comment that I think we just don't think about this as much as we should. No, we don't. We hear about the men of the Bible. We know a lot about Peter and we know about James and about John. We know about David and Saul and Adam. But once you come in on the women's side, we see lots of layers of complexity. I'm dealing with a theory uh, now, and I have to work on proving it more, but it's about how women seem to find God in everyday activities. And also, I I think they bring more of their brokenness to Jesus, say, in the New Testament. We've got the, the woman in Matthew who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's broken, but she's finding Jesus. If Jairus' daughter who's dying, she's working at finding Jesus. The Syrophoenician woman who's, whose daughter has died, the Samaritan woman who just pummels Jesus with all kinds of questions. I'm I'm thinking we're seeing that whereas men tend to tend to reveal their brokenness later on in their stories. But as I said, that's just a theory. So I I think that could be really true and really right. Alan, I know you've got some questions for Lindsay. I'll shut up and let you talk. <laughs> no, no. I mean, 
the church has heard enough from, you know, middle-aged. No, we haven't. Just white we have, guys. We have not. No. And so this, you know, last summer, this summer we're, we're talking to folks creating things. Last summer, Mary Balfour took over. I took the summer off and she talked about women in ministry. And that's important to me, right? I was raised um, Missouri Synod Lutheran. And so for me, pastors were men. Uh, that was a prerequisite. And uh, so I came, even as I was confirmed and came in to the Episcopal Church, that's my framework, right? And it's meeting people like Meredith Hefner, my field ed supervisor, mm-hmm. Beth Fain, um, the rector when I was in my curacy. It's meeting women who are outstanding priests, and I would never in a minute doubt um, that they're called. And mm-hmm. and there, you know, there's the whole defense of whatever we look to scripture. And I mean, it's plain. Women were were key components of, of carrying uh, Jesus's message forward, sometimes paying for the whole operation. And so I think it's time that folks like like me listen to more of that. And so what are ways, you know, you got a whole bunch of, of male who are clergy. What are ways that we can can lift up the voices of women from Scripture, lift up voices of women in ministry? Uh, that's that's a really good question, but I don't want to denigrate the con- contributions that men have made over the years, as far back as Jesus's ministry and before and also in parish ministry. Because the church is challenged right now. We have a lot of people that aren't going back to church after COVID, and we have a lot of people who are not uh, claiming Christianity or or being Jewish or Muslim. I mean, kind of drifting away from those institutional religions. So I would not downgrade your participation for a minute, Alan. And as I look at your office, you're a busy guy. And um, so, but in terms of what men can learn from Scripture, from women in the Bible— and how to teach it. I think it is that brokenness uh, that that women bring to Jesus and all through the all through the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. I think there is a certain amount of brokenness and vulnerability that they are willing to share with Jesus right up front. Um, Jesus talked longer to the Samaritan woman at the well than anyone else in Scripture, and she tortured him intellectually. And I think that that realness and that butting heads and that not willing to take no for an answer, the woman who believed for 12 years to, to go through the crowds as an outcast and to finally hook onto his robe. I think that just pointed to the women themselves and, and their actions. And we, because you think of Deborah, um, Deborah being called into battle and telling Barack, the general, that she wasn't going to go without him. And then you, the battle was, Pretty much one, except the um, the the head guy, the one guy Sisera, the Philistines was was left alive, and he crept into a woman's tent and JL and JL nailed his head to the ground. Um, that's so. So I just think bringing up the life and the power and the vitality that is in this story is pretty. It, I, my experience has been if you get a group of women together, and I would like to think it's the same way with men. I don't know if it is or not, but if you go over some of these stories, some real intimacy and sharing comes out. Of course, that's church basement women. We have a skit skit group here in Minnesota. They call themselves the Lutheran Church Ladies, and we all laugh. But you get a lot of share. I'm always surprised by the by the amount that women are are willing to share with each other. And men perhaps would be too if they were alone in a group rather than a mixed group. I don't know. So. Yeah. So interesting that you brought this up because today. Um, uh, my bishop in the Diocese of Upper South Carolina, Bishop Richards, he um, 
does a, a weekly lectionary study um, on Tuesday mornings. And he's a fairly new bishop, so he's at baby bishop camp. Is that what they call it? Um, so I get this call yesterday afternoon at like five o'clock, and it was like, could you please lead this for all the clergy in the diocese, this lectionary Bible study? I'm like, oh, my God, this is like not in my wheelhouse at all. No, I don't want to do it. But, you know, God puts things on our hearts, and so we do it. So you and said yes. Good I for said you. yes. You know, so I get there, and there's I'm intimidated as all this clergy. And, of course, me being, I mean, me being a female, but also me being me, like, I was totally vulnerable with, like, things that I'm afraid about in preaching, things um, we're, we're working on a becoming beloved community at our church. And like, that's pushing the envelope for some people. And like, I want to preach about it, but some people are afraid. And I, so I think some of the people in the room were like, she's really just throwing up all over us, but you're really helping me like have more confidence in what I was saying this morning, because of what you're saying that there, these women in the Bible, they did that, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm afraid. Can we talk about this more? And pointing people back to scripture. It's given me a lot of confidence. It's just funny how the day works out that you start your day in this place of, like I've been doubting myself all day. So clergy groups are often the hardest to talk to. Um, I find that they are because everybody, uh, I should say we're all caught up in our own egos more than we need to be. And we're afraid to share and we want people to know that we know stuff. So the fact that you said yes to doing that is clearly the spirit working. And um, I think if we just turn to the Bible but um, and just turn to the Bible and see what these people are doing and saying and how vulnerable they were, especially the women. It's huge. It's, It's a real gift. So I have another question for you. An original edition comes out and then, and our original book comes out and then an edition comes out. So what was kind of the thinking behind that? Did you find more women? Like what, where well, we, we strengthened parts of the book. I thought it was always a pretty strong book, but then Rochelle Thompson, the editor of forward movement called me and said, would you like to do more with it? And after 10 years, I, I had the opportunity to travel around the country and talk with groups and listen to them. And so we enlarged it by 120 pages. We put in some new comment, uh, some new comments. George Floyd, for example, was killed just 15 miles away from where I live. So we tried to work with the women in contempt, Bible women in contemporary settings and find out what do they have to say for us in such times. We added more discussion questions, deeper discussion questions, because we were found that people were ready to share right off the bat. And then we offered a um, a prayer at the end of a meditation at the end of each chapter, drawing from people like Hildegard of Bingen and Catherine of Aragon and and some of the great uh, wise men of our time, Augustine and just a, a number of different people. And so we were able to put it in a prayer at the end of every chapter or a specific um, like for the um, Abigail, who was one of David's wives, who who. It was just, uh, and she was married before she was married to King David. She was married to an alcoholic, which is the first sign of alcoholism in the Bible. And um, here's, for example, here's a prayer that we gave from her, gave to her from Teresa of Avila in 15, 15 to fifteen eighty two. Let nothing disturb thee. Let nothing affright thee. All things are passing. God never changes. Patient endurance attaineth to all things who God possesseth. 
possesseth, possesseth and nothing is wanting, alone God suffices. So um, that's the kind of prayer because she was dealing with an alcoholic husband and David was threatening to kill her whole family. And so she um, she was pretty good the way she dealt with that. She brought them lots of food and talked David out of killing her family. So all these all these threads underneath of things that women have to deal with today. So that was really interesting to go back 10 years later and take a mm-hmm. look at that work. And especially after getting to visit with all these women around the country and getting their perspective. I bet that was a really interesting. I felt very fortunate because oftentimes you said, write a book and set it down and it's the end of it. You're done with it. Um, if there are mistakes in it or things you want to take back, you don't have the opportunity to do that. And so my dining room table was just covered with papers and trying to get things right and speaking honestly and deeply. And it's kind of like you being pushed by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gets you a hold of you and you say yes, you're kind of on a path that you hadn't expected to be. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is such a gift to the world. Um, I I hope that people will go out and buy purchase this I encourage parishes I think this is a great book study um my parish has a book study for that is just women and I've already passed this on to them and I just said I think that this would be something you would really enjoy um and Lindsay as a female priest as a female in general like I just really am grateful for the work that you and those three women did um thank you it's pretty amazing certainly been a blessing blessing to me in my life and I just figure in heaven when we're all in heaven it's like sitting around a campfire with these people I'll be able to see the Samaritan woman and see if she's as pushy as she came across I'll be able to see Elizabeth who could who could see Jesus in Mary's womb as she walked across the threshold how happy she was uh, I mean we'll be able to these women are are alive in God's hands and we'll have a lot of questions answered I think oh I love that you know, you think about when you go to heaven about all your loved ones, but I don't think about all the people in the Bible that I admire that I'm going to get to talk to, too. That's exactly. Pretty- They'll be there. <laughs> That's really great. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. My pleasure. Alan, Mary Balfour, thank you both for the work that you do. I mean, it's really important work, getting the word out, you being evangelist, and thank you for that. Our pleasure. And listeners, as re- remember, as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does. Thank you.